This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Four of the would-be challengers for Bruce Poliquin's congressional seat in 2018 were in Orland earlier this month speaking on a panel organized by the Maine Common Good Coalition. Jonathan Fulford, Jerry Golden, Tim Rich, and Lucas St. Clair took questions from a packed audience for close to two hours. A fifth candidate, Craig Olson, was unable to attend. We aired the first hour last week, and it is now available at weru.org on our archives if you missed it. Today, we pick up with the candidates responding to a question about supporting the Equal Rights Amendment, dealing with domestic violence, and supporting women living in poverty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is Jared Golden. In, in, in regards to equal rights uh, constitutional amendment, yes. Um, I've already voted for that at the main level. We, uh, Representative Reckitt tried to get that into the main constitution. It came up short in the House. It was one of the worst votes, party line votes I, I've ever seen. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. Uh, you know, listening earlier actually to, to what Stacy had to say, I, I was reminded that there was actually a bill this year in, in the main legislature having to do with uh, asking, uh, d you know, people who have been uh, convicted uh, of domestic violence to forfeit their, their, their guns. Uh, and I voted for that and, and, and took a lot of criticism for it. People said I, I did not believe in Second Amendment rights. Um, and well, I guess what I would say to people that oppose that was you're soft on domestic violence. And that is the number one cause of homicide in this state. And, and that's not okay. So, you know, I was, I was proud to, to, to support that. Um, other policies, I mean, I have a track record 100% uh, of standing strong for women's right to choose their own, you know, make their own health care decisions. It's a personal decision that, that any woman should make with, with their doctor's care uh, and, and advice. Um, some of the issues that I think about in regards to poverty uh, in, in women and children that I have thought about and care deeply about and would fight for in Congress, uh, shouldn't we all have some form of uh, inability to have paid leave? Uh, whether it's to take care of a sick child or, or, or a sick spouse or, or an elderly parent or even just take care of yourself. Uh, I've got some policy ideas that I'd like to try and, and put into place there. Uh, I, I think we all know that it's time that, that equal pay for equal work, uh, you know, somehow uh, be pushed forward in, in businesses and if it takes uh, statute then, then let's get that done. Thinking about universal Head Start uh, is another thing that I really believe we need to do. Uh, we talk a lot about the need for furthering education, but really it's very important to get to our youth uh, at the earliest uh, stages. So uh, I want to fight for universal Head Start. I think that would do a lot for, for poverty here in Maine. This is Lucas St. Clair. I agree with, um, with Jared. Well, certainly I would sign on to an amendment for um, inequality amendment um, and I think that to address a holistic problem you have to take on uh, the challenge in multiple facets of it and I think that uh, addressing the concern as it exists in the moment making sure that violent offenders don't have access to weapons certainly is one of them counseling and training to uh, to, to make sure that women have a, a safe place to go and the um, the, the care that can be provided uh, if, if, if and when those, the circumstances arise. Uh, and I also agree that um, teaching young children the compassion and respect is, is so vitally important. I see, you know, I have a six-year-old daughter, she's about to turn seven, and I think a lot about how, what it's like for her in the classroom and what it'll be like for her as she gets older. 
um, and wanting to make sure that she feels empowered to know that she can be as successful as any other boy in class and, and um, anyone else that she's, um, she works with or becomes educated with or is on the athletic field with. And right now it's such, a, uh, it's such an inspiring moment in a child's life because there is none of those biases. She runs faster than the boys. She, you know, she's just a, she's f so full of life and none of those things have started to affect her life yet. And so I, I'm, I really want to stay focused on making sure that as a child gets older that we make sure that they are positioned to uh, get the same treatment and, the, and, and, the, and give the same opportunities. And I also have a young boy. He, he's going to turn four in, uh, in two weeks. And making sure that he also understands what it is to grow up to be a young, compassionate, thoughtful, and understanding man. And the values that my parents gave to me, um, I hope that are, you know, will be transferred to, to them. And I, so I think that it does need to be uh, a, a holistic challenge like this needs a holistic cure, and, and that's really looking at all facets uh, of the of the issue and treating them and treating them with as much resource and and um, intention as we possibly can. This is Tim Rich. Um, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I I would agree with with both uh, Jared and Lucas. Um, you know, I would absolutely vote for an equal rights amendment. I. Um, support it entirely. I think women's health care and reproductive rights are women's rights. And, and I also believe in, in Head Start and, and, and paid time off and, and I think maybe even more importantly, pay equality. This is Jonathan Fulford. So yes, I would support Equal Rights Amendment, definitely. Um, and that uh, and I would also agree about <laughs> fighting for equal pay, equal work. Uh, also a a paid parental leave in any as well and I think also a component of having universal single-payer health care would also be a great boon to all families and that affects women. I'd also say that um, as far as like the violence towards women that is endemic in our society I think there's that, when I ha that having, it call being, having it called out more now than ever before is a great thing and is the beginning of I think hopefully a major change in what's considered acceptable in spite of all the pushback that's happening. The one part that hasn't been, not been talked too much about is really what, what has happened to boys and men to condition men into being able to per, 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 uh, to um, be perpetrators of that violence. And that, and that has to be looked at. It's not, it's, it's not going to be simple to simply say, just stop. That has to be the beginning of it. But then we have to and say, we cannot, this is unacceptable and will not be no longer kept silent. And secret, but then we have to also then look at and then how do we actually look at the root causes of that? What turn boys who do have no interest in that to actually then thinking of women as as something which they can be treated that way is instead of as their full equals and partners and, and with respect. So I think that that's going to be a longer dialogue, and, and, and I, I have some thoughts on that, but I'd like to talk about that too. Um, if you win the primary. Where's your money going to come from? Who are you going to accept it from? And who are you not going to accept it from? This is Jonathan Fulford. I will never take any corporate money for political purposes whatsoever from lobbyists or from corporate PACs. So the money for running for office has to only come from the people. 
And I think if you're gonna if you're gonna talk the talk of like I'm opposed to the corporations control of our political system and therefore rigging our economy, you cannot take the money. And the challenges of getting elected, once you've done that, I think are worth what it takes because this is this is the major obstacle to having meaningful change. So it's like you just have to do it. So the money will come from you. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's interesting because, like, you know, everybody, like, everybody knows money and politics messed up, right? Nobody thinks it's good. Actually, until I actually started running for this office, and because I ran when I ran on, you know, for state senate, I ran on clean elections, best clean elections in, in this country, right? It's like awesome. We need that on a federal level. But even with our clean election laws in Maine, it does not prevent PACs, you know from being influenced, you know, most, like, I ran against Mike Thibodeau. Mike Thibodeau had $750,000 in PAC money. Over 50% of it came from outside the state corporations. Like, we did the analysis on it. The media did not pick up on this. And despite of how much we kept on telling them, they would not pick up on this. It was on the non-issue. People accept it. You know, this is just, that's just on the state level. Yeah, right? So this issue of getting money out of politics, so we actually have representation that will speak to and fight for what is good for all of us, is the crux of our democracy. You know, and I am determined to make sure that we actually break this stranglehold we have. So. This is Tim Rich. Yeah, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I mean, we're, we're legally not allowed to take corporate money. So... So none of us are going to take corporate money as far as direct contributions go. Uh, political action committees are a bit of a different story. Now, you know, I, I don't think any of us have said we're not going to take political action committee money. I think if a, if a labor union that I believe in comes to me and says we support you and we want to cut you a giant check to beat Bruce Poliquin, I, I think I'd be dumb not to take it. Um, you know, so, so that's part of it. I mean, it, it really does come from, from individuals like you folks as well. But the reality is we, we're a targeted race. So, so whoever wins the primary, the day they win the primary, the day after that, a ton of money starts flowing in here and a ton of support and a ton of people. Um, so, so that's, I feel like, the, the most honest answer to your question I can give. This is Lucas St. Clair. Yeah, I agree. Echo Tim's comments. You know, corporations can't um, pay, pay for political campaigns. Um, and PACs are, political action committees or PACs are, are very different. Planned Parenthood has one. The League of Conservation Voters has one. NARAL has one. Um, 314 Action is a, is a PAC for uh, scientists who believe in climate change, who want scientists and science-minded people to run and win in Congress. So PACs aren't all bad, they, and they do... Um, they do aggregate funding and they direct them to targeted races. Um, this will be a very expensive race. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that um, the person that wins the primary will receive a lot of outside money from a lot of different places, from the party, from people that want to see, it, want to see, see Bruce Poliquin lose. Um, I also will have to say that I feel like I know that money in politics has been the most corrupting thing in our democracy. And Citizens United has fundamentally changed people's belief in our democracy, the way the democracy works for people, and the stranglehold that the very wealthiest people in our country have on our democratic process. And if we want to change that, we have to have institutional power. We need to win elections, and then we can change it. 
We lost this last election, and Gorsuch became a member of the Supreme Court, and there was nothing that we could do about it. So we, we need to stay focused on winning elections and then making the changes that we want to see with the institutional power that we gain by winning those elections. This is Jared Golden. First thing what I'll do is I'll echo, we've got to go after Citizens United. And there's only one way to do that, and that's for Democrats to win, to win when it's time to make appointments to, to the Supreme Court or to have enough of a supermajority to pass that constitutional amendment ourselves. Uh, it is a serious, serious problem. Maybe one of the most damaging Supreme Court rulings in my lifetime. Uh, I've served on the Veterans and Legal Affairs Committee in the state legislature, which handles election laws in the state of Maine. And there have been so many bills, good bills brought forward, to try and stem the flow of money into politics. In almost every single one of them, we were told by the Attorney General's office, if you pass this law, it will be challenged in court, and you will lose. In the state of Maine, and state taxpayers will foot the bill. Um, the only thing that you can do right now as a policymaker to try and fight money in politics is to find ways to increase transparency so that it's easier for citizens like yourself to follow the money and make a judgment for yourself, is money influencing my elected leader? Uh, and, 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 you know, watch the money come in and watch their voting behaviors. You know, are they beholden to Wall Street? Or are they not? You know, are they representing our needs? That's a tough thing to ask of, uh, of citizens and, and voters. It's unfortunate, but it's the best thing that we can do right now. Um, so we got to go out there and win. <laughs> Uh, in, in terms of, of money, like they all said, not all PACs are bad. Uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. You know, you've named them all. So, you know, I've, I've actually gotten money from members of Congress already who have their own, you know, uh, PACs that they've contributed to help me out. Uh, I've got over a thousand contributions come into my team so far, uh, and, and ranging from a dollar right up to the higher dollar donations. And, and to me, that's you know the way you do it. You go out and you work really hard to get as many contributions as you can from individual people. Uh, and you take you know those one dollar ones. I think in, in many ways are, are, are the sweetest. But um, number one thing in, in politics is you got to prepare yourself for the fact uh, that you're never going to be bought. You can't even control dark money in your own campaign. Corporations will pull their monies into super PACs and make independent expenditures without your even being aware of it, and attacking your opponent, and you can't do anything to stop the flow of that money yourself. And often there is a perception created that you're a part of that money, even though you don't want to be. So it's a serious problem and largely an uncontrollable one in so many ways. At best, all you can do is um, make sure that you've got your values straight uh, and, and that you are always feel comfortable accepting that contribution and, and, and knowing that it, it's given for the right purpose and that you're never going to allow it to influence your decision making. Uh, hi, my name is Bo Green. I live in Bar Harbor. So, I mean, <laughs> all of you guys, <laughs> all four of you are so much friggin' better than Bruce Powell. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I would jump on the bandwagon for any of you because I just would feel so much more confident than what we have. So it's interesting to sit here because I just want to say, yes, 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 we want you. Um, but actually, 
my my concern um, isn't really about you as individuals at all because I really like the four of you. Um, my my concern is more about just like I don't I'm not gonna just um, how do I say this without offending. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about just the democratic status quo because I am not just I, I don't pride myself necessarily on just like being pro-democrat I mean I'm certainly I vote that way because the people are better and the values are better but there's a lot about the democratic party that I am very uncomfortable with I was very uncomfortable with the way they ran the 2016 campaign and I don't know how how do I or how do you how do we get I don't want the status quo Democrats I don't want to just put a Democrat in there because they're not a Republican I want a different Democratic Party and I want to know how to get there <laughs> this is Jared Golden I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, uh, look it, I, I think that that the awareness uh, of the fact that the Democratic Party has gotten complacent uh, has in many ways drifted in, in, in their priorities and in, in focusing on and helping working class and middle class people uh, and, and really changing with the times is just become incredibly apparent. Uh, I think we saw evidence of it beginning in, in 2010 and 2014, but it's just right there in front of us in 2016 and we better deal with it very quickly. Uh, this is what I was getting at with it's time for a new generation of leaders uh, in both parties, uh, among even you know the independent movement and others. Uh, I think that we need to get the next generation involved and politically active to shake things up and say that we need a new way of doing business. This is Lucas St. Clair. I think the most important thing that we can do, regardless of being a Republican or Democrat, is empowering citizens to participate in the democratic process. And while 2016 was a painful election cycle to go through, and waking up on that Wednesday in November felt you know, like just a body blow, uh, what it did do and what I think what our president did between the time that uh, Election Day happened and the time that he left the White House was he talked about what it meant to be a citizen in our country. And his last speech that he gave in Chicago before he left the White House, he said the most important title that any American can have is citizen. It's the fourth leg of the democratic stool. You know, it is the the most empowering thing that we can do is, is be a citizen of this country and be active in our democracy. And while it has felt complacent, and I believe that the parties, um, both the GOP and, and the Democratic Party, have become corrupted and a bit um, top-down to, to have the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee call our race and tell us what to do from Washington, D.C. seems so backwards to me. And um, we really are resisting that as a campaign. But what, it, what has happened is on a, a Thursday night in December, this many people come out to a fish hatchery to listen to four guys they don't know talk about how we're going to change the country and how we're going to influence and, and go into our, our government and bring things back for the people of Maine. And this happened in Blue Hill at a house that I was at 
uh, on Tuesday, later on that night at the Blue Hill Library, a, a crowded room of people. We were all in, in Holton on, uh, at 1 p.m., the kickoff of the Pats game on Sunday, this, this last, uh, this last uh, Sunday. And there were 90 people in a house that we could barely move around in. This is in, in southern Arista County, not what I consider the, the, the stronghold of progressive politics. But people are, realize that they are playing an incredibly important role in our democracy right now. So the silver lining of what happened in, in last November is that this happened, and people are now empowered. They, they are finding, we are all finding our collective voice. The fact that we have a primary where, where um, four people have turned out in the governor's race, there's... Uh, I, I think 10 or so more people, you know, and, and all across the state, people are turning out to run and, um, and volunteer. And, you know, if, if you don't like the way things are, pick up a clipboard, go start knocking doors. And that's, that's actually happening. So um, while I, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated from, with the top-down um, policies of the, the party, I'm inspired by what's happening on a grassroots level. And I think ultimately it will be the grassroots uh, that, that – has, has the most powerful and the most lasting change. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. This forum was held in Orland on December 7th and featured four of the would-be challengers for Bruce Poliquin's congressional seat in 2018, Jonathan Fulford, Jared Golden, Tim Rich, and Lucas St. Clair. Craig Olson was unable to attend due to illness. This is Tim Rich. Well, I, I think your question is, is kind of in two parts. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think as as candidates and as a party, we need to be different, um, and we, we and we can't be going after the same old thing. Because I'm I'm like you. I mean, I am a Democrat. I'm a proud Democrat, but I but I'm right on the edge of being an independent. And and I and I love my party. And sometimes it feels like my party doesn't love me as much as I love it. Um, I so so I think you need to create a bold progressive vision. Um, I think you need to address real problems that real Mainers and real people are facing around the country. Um, I think that's part of it. And I think you have to go outside of, of typical democratic talking points. You know, I think, for example, um, an issue that I care a lot about is, is our national debt and our deficit, which, you know, we can, we can get all this stuff. I mean, we can get universal health care. We can get free college. We can, we can get it all eventually. But then if we can't pay for it, and if we become like Greeks, and if we become bankrupt as a nation, what good has it done us? Um, and, and, and this might come off not the way that I mean it, so, but, I, but I feel a responsibility to be honest here. You know, one of the things that we've struggled with, and I, I know at least three of the candidates in this race have struggled with, um, is that Washington, D.C. has come in, and, and they've chosen their candidate. And um, it's, it's, made, it's made it really difficult for all of us. It's made it difficult to raise money. It's made it difficult to, uh, to get our voices heard. Um, and... Yeah, that's, that's been a real challenge. Sorry, that's all I have to say about that. <clears throat> this is Jonathan Fulford. Uh, so the Democratic Party is something that I see as a vehicle for making progressive change. That's its value, right? It um, doesn't have any value other than that in my mind. You know, it's like, is this the best vehicle we have? And I think it is right now to actually make the changes needed. So I'm willing to work, and, and so running as a Democrat, then I have a responsibility to actually make sure that the Democratic Party's process and structure reflects the ideals and goals and values that I have. And it doesn't always. 
And I think that the way things were handled last year was really unfortunate because it divided people. And I think it actually cost us the election because of the, the traditions of secrecy. And, uh, and uh, that doesn't go well. I ran for party chair right after when I lost the election in November. I was like, well, what do I do now? Someone called me up and said, do you think about running for party chair? And I was like, no, <laughs> like I do not want that job. But when I thought about what I'm committed to, which is a, a transparent process, you know, it actually democratic process and a few ways of which I felt, which our super delegates were still, you know, were acted and the way in which the convention happened. It didn't matter if you were for Bernie or for Hillary. I think that the way the Democratic Party conducted itself nationally and within the state cost Hillary the election. And cost us having and cost almost every single seat down the race a much harder time because we lost the trust and enthusiasm of a major part of the population that was fired up. And they didn't turn out because they felt like they were betrayed. And whether they were as betrayed as they felt, you can't argue with how they were feeling, right? And so I think that we need a much more transparent and much more open process, you know? And that's why I was willing, that's why I ran for party chair and lost a close election, you know? It would have been brutal if I'd gotten elected, but I would have done it, you know? So, so I'm committed to that. An audience member asked how the candidates would use data in their campaigns citing mistrust of polls. This is Lucas St. Clair. I've lost some faith in polling, but I, I, I do feel like polling is, is a way to understand a little bit about the electorate. But I think what's really critical is the, what we, the way we poll. And I think it's more about, um, I think what, where success lies is in public research, asking people questions that aren't necessarily related to an individual candidate, but about trying to understand the way they think. Um, and... Uh, the, the, that is what we did uh, <clears throat> with the National Monument effort. We did a tremendous amount of public research and focus groups and, and, and identified what would really matter to people. And then we started talking about those things and um, making sure that those things were, were being heard. Um, I, I do think data is, is going to be an important thing, and we have, we have a lot of experience on our team, on our campaign team, on, on how to process it how to, and how to understand it, because uh, certainly there's a lot out there. And I think uh, what, what's happening with, with digital uh, is changing the game. Um, the, you know, certainly the way people are getting their news has changed dramatically, myself included. Um, Twitter, Facebook, and various other social media um, platforms are, are creating a transfer of information that didn't exist a decade ago, and we're still trying to figure out how to deal with it. Um, and so I think there's opportunities to communicate with people uh, in, a, in a more honest way in, with varied platforms. I think the traditional going up on television with a bunch of ads, negative and positive, is not, it's not the future. Um, and we, we saw that happen. We've seen it happen now in a couple election cycles. So uh, I, it's, it's very important to have a sophisticated campaign apparatus that understands those things and is paying close attention to sort of modern um, campaign um, technology. So, and, and that's absolutely something that we're doing. This is Tim Rich. Yeah, I mean, it's something that, that I think we all have to do. Um, and I, I think Lucas answered the, the question for the most part. I, I agree with that answer. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it to kind of another level. You know, once we're elected, 
I, I think these data points that allow us to maybe run more micro-targeted or more efficient campaigns in general are very dangerous for our country. Um, and I, I think we need to address that in a way that we haven't effectively. Um, you know, I, I think that the collection of data by the government at this point um, since the Patriot Act has gotten to, to, fr to be frightening, frankly. And, and it's something that we need to work against. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really frightening because you don't even understand how micro-targeted ads are to you. You know, and, and that can not only shift your view on any specific issue, but it can change your whole schema and the whole way you look at life. And you don't even realize it. And, you know, it, it's one of the reasons why we have such a sharp partisan divide now. I mean, I've, I'll be honest, you know, I've, I've met Bruce Poliquin several times. I've, I've had meetings with him down in D.C. And walking into those meetings, I expected the devil to be there. And it's, and it's because of what you see on social media and what you see on the news. Um, you know, I, I, so I think it's time. It's time to regulate companies like Facebook much better. It's time to regulate companies like Twitter much better. And it's time to make sure that, you know, this micro-targeting that happens, happens within certain boundaries. This is Jonathan Fulford. So you, you specifically to your question of, like, how do we actually deal with this as a campaign, is that um, campaigns hire... Um, hire consultants that that's what their work is and so the so the one of the jobs as a candidate is you try to find make sure that you have uh, you hire people who are good at this that um, have had that understand rural districts and understand how to use you know and on top of what the data you know what the current you know technology is I would have to echo that as a candidate uh, which I recommend actually right now that all of you run for office someday um, it's actually a pretty good thing to do. Um, uh, it is, it is. I mean, I, 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 it, it's, uh, I say it's the best decision I've made other than becoming a father. It has challenged me more than anything else I've done. And I've learned more and met a lot, a lot of more people than anything else I've done. It's pretty cool. So go for it, you know. Um, but the data that's available when you run for office is like kind of creepy. And that's nothing like the data that they have in the commercial world about targeting with, with ads. It's, it's not right. You know, so do, is this the world we live in and do we have to be skilled at using it? Yes. But I would also agree that this, this is out of, getting out of control and it's not really healthy for us you know, in the long run. So. <laughs> this is Jared Golden. Uh, you know, in, in regards to, to polls and, and polling, uh, I am certainly a little bit skeptical. Too many people uh, run campaigns where polling just becomes nothing but a campaign uh, tool to try and persuade people that they're the leading candidate. Uh, and that's not an effective way to, to poll and, and, and use your money. In fact, uh, polls did not pre predict that Paula Page was going to win in 10. The poll said Mike Mishu was going to win in 14. The polls in the media predicted Emily Kane victories in 14 and in 16. We really haven't seen a poll uh, coming out of a Democratic campaign that got it right uh, in my entire political lifetime in Maine. Um, so uh, I'm a skeptic, to be honest with you. Uh, I recently got uh, an endorsement from, I think, a, a little-known organization called the Committee for an Effective Congress. It started in 1948 by Eleanor Roosevelt. And it used to be that they would give money to candidates, uh, but most recently they decided that the most important thing they can do is give data to campaigns um, that they believe in and to help them analyze that data in an effective and useful way. So I'm, I'm very honored to have that support and I'm excited to have it. Um, I remember sitting in my office down in Washington, D.C. 
uh, and hearing this very smart senator uh, named Angus King uh, tell someone during a nominations process that one of the most important lessons he's learned uh, as a leader is that what you need to do is hire very effective, competent, hardworking people and then take credit for the good work that they do. <laughs> and so absolutely building a good, strong team of people around you is, is something that you've got to be able to do as a candidate. And I have a lot of faith in, in the campaign team that I'm building to do that. Um, that being said, you know, going back to that organization, uh, what they believe is most important about that data is that we have to get back, like I said earlier, to running real field campaigns. We, we've lost that. And, you know, the, the victory in Virginia, when you look at the House of Delegates almost going back to Democratic control, they ran the kind of campaign where all each individual campaign was working together, communicating together, and they were running a true team campaign. When is the last time we did that in Maine? where the Democratic Party, where elected officials in the state house, uh, at the House level, at the Senate level, and, and the entire ticket were all really communicating and working together to get out into the field and win. We haven't been doing it right, and we better get it right this time if we want to win. And the last thing I'll say is when, when you get trained to run for the state house, one of the things that they tell you when you go to the door is, you know, if you spend five minutes talking with someone and you don't ask them at the end, can I count on your vote, then you failed. Because they want you to be able to plug in, this person's a one. They support me. They said they would vote for me. Or this person's a five. They said they love my opponent. Or a three is undecided. I never believed that. I never did it. Because I didn't like it when someone comes to my door, I just met you, and all of a sudden it's like, can I count on your vote after a two-minute conversation? Yeah. You know? And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe. And, 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 they, and all of a sudden they think I'm a two, right? Um, <laughs> I, I don't believe it. I would have a conversation with you, and when I left, I would go with my gut instinct. How did that go? You know, what kind of a conversation did we have? What did I learn? And I would just log the one to five based upon my gut. Nothing can replace political instinct, in my opinion. So data, absolutely critical and important, but I'm, never, I'm always going to go with my gut. That's the most important thing. I'm uh, Steve Crabtree from Hancock. You're all impressive. I wish you could all be there. Um, three of you won't win the primary. I would hope that you would commit to working energetically for whoever does. Jared, if, if it's not you, share that, that data information. Now my question for the four of you is, Paula Quinn and the outside money is going to come attacking. What is the worst thing they could bring up about you, what are they going to say? <laughs> Which, this is serious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Yeah. Are you sure you don't want to go first? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is Tim Rich. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm in this for any reason, I'm in it to be honest, right? So, uh, Geez, I, I don't I don't have a lot of stuff. Um, a, f a few years back, you know, I've struggled I've struggled in my life. I've struggled with poverty. Um, I I didn't you know I wasn't born into a wealthy family. I wasn't born into an upwardly mobile family. Um, and and there's a lot of that sort of sort of graces you learn growing up that I had to learn over time. Um, and you know, and getting my business off the ground was a really hard thing to do. And uh, I mean, there was a there was an issue where I got a speeding ticket. And I, I couldn't afford to pay it, right? Just something basic like a speeding ticket. And I threw it in a drawer and ignored it. And it wound up growing and growing and growing. And eventually, I got a bench warrant. And I got arrested for it. Now, this is something that many, many Mainers have gone through. And the system is inherently unfair in the way that it treats people like that. 
Um, I never thought I'd get arrested in my life. I was blown away when it happened. Um, but that's probably the worst thing you'd find on me. That's my guess. Sure. Oh, I'm sure. And I'll be honest about it, too, because I think most people can relate. This is Jonathan Fulford. <clears throat> Raise a bunch of kids, you know, they get messy. Um, um, no, I'm not really quite sure what, what can be thrown. I mean, like, the thing is, is that, is that nothing can be made into something really easily. Like, like, I would never have predicted in my last Senate race against Mike Thibodeau that what I'd be brought forward, I'd be brought before the Ethics Commission in Maine because of clicking a like on a Facebook post. Right? Really? And it was laughed out of the Ethics Commission, but for a month it dominated the news coverage of the race. It was a completely false, misleading manipulation. But it, you know, the Senate president is allowed to bring charges in front of the Ethics Commission, and they have to be honored. So, it, so that distracted the entire news media from actually looking at it, that he had $750,000 of PAC money rolling through his hands. Right? Instead of, did you, ethic, did, did you or did you not act unethically? Well, the answer was no. But until, that was, until it was dismissed in the Ethics Commission, that's what people talk about. So, you know, so the ability for opposition, for Mike, you know, for, for Mike Thibodeau in this case, and, and Mike Thibodeau is a pale shadow to the attack mechanisms that have clearly been shown by Poliquin's campaign in the past. Like, will, whoever is running against Bruce Poliquin will be attacked, and if there's nothing there to be attacked on, they will make it. And that is just to be expected. So, This is Jared Golden. Yeah, I mean, I've run two campaigns now. I've seen hundreds of campaigns at the state house level. Um, and, and I'll tell you, they will make stuff up. Um, and you will get attacked no matter what. Um, I've seen instances where, where people voted, um, were told, oh, you have to go vote for these welfare reform bills that were really kind of, you know, do nothing, uh, just blame the poor for the position that they're in type bills because Republicans are going to attack us in this election year on, on welfare. Um, and in my experience, uh, even when Democrats vote for those things, they still use attack ads against them. It, it, they don't care about what the truth is. So I always refuse, no, I'm not going to vote for that just for a political purpose. I'm going to stand strong. And, and vote my conscience in my heart uh, because they're going to use you know fake news or whatever it is you want to call it. Um, people uh, edit things that you say out of context. Uh, things I you know you talk about on the house floor, they'll edit into a 10 second clip that makes you sound awful. Um, so you know to me, what is um, you know most important is how you respond to those attacks um, that you. You know, when, when Democrats try and run away from those attacks, I think they look weak. And you really have to take them on head on and quickly and respond and show people that you're not afraid uh, and connect with them so that they understand that's not the person that I've gotten to know out here on this campaign trail. Uh, that's why this kind of voter engagement and outreach is so important. It inoculates you against the inevitable TV ads and radio ad attacks. Uh, and, and, and that's just what I believe. I already know some of the things they're going to say about me. They're going to tell you that I, I love illegal immigrants because of the advocacy I've done in the legislature for asylum seekers in my community. They're going to tell you I want to take your taxpayer dollars and give them to you know, lazy, able-bodied people uh, that aren't willing to, to work for a living. Completely BS, uh, scapegoating uh, of poor people. I'm proud to fight for them. And that will be how I respond to those types of attacks. This is Lucas St. Clair. 
Yeah, similarly, I, I lived a, a pretty squeaky clean life so far, um, and there's there's not a lot of there's there's no real baggage to, to um, skeletons in the closet, as you'd say. Um, but I have had made hundreds and hundreds of public speeches. Um, I've testified in front of Congress. I've written several uh, opinion pieces. There's been multiple documentary films made about my family. There's been multiple books written about my family. There's there's a lot of things out there that will be manipulated into um, into negative ads, and um, unfortunately, that is that's the reality of the political world that we're living in and it I think unfortunately keeps some of the really um, talented people from running for election which is a real shame um, you know in the same way that um, the fear of abuse and the fear of, of not um, fully being treated as an equal for women keeps women from outside of from doing incredible jobs that they absolutely deserve so um, yes, that'll all come up. But to, to your first point, which I think is probably the most important, is that all four of us have a quiver of arrows. And we need to focus those arrows and have them trained on Bruce Poliquin for the entire electoral cycle. There is no opportunity that we should turn them on one another. Um, and that means there's four people running against him. Yeah. And so I think we need to be really If you're just joining us, this is Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. This forum was held in Orland on December 7th and featured four of the would-be challengers for Bruce Poliquin's congressional seat in 2018, Jonathan Fulford, Jared Golden, Tim Rich, and Lucas St. Clair. Craig Olson was unable to attend due to illness. I'm Katie Greenman. I live in Orland. I... I'm wondering, you, you have spent a lot of time together already. By the time the primary rolls around, you'll know each other very well. Unfortunately, only one of you is going to be the candidate. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to commit to making sure that the person <coughs> elected in the primary will beat Bruce Pollard? This is Jonathan Fulford. Well, clearly, right off the bat, I'll endorse anybody who wins. Out of this, out of you know, and anybody who's running right now, I know if I'm having you know been with him as much as I have, which is some, not you know, be a lot more soon. Um, that everybody's you know a good person, and will do a thousand times better than Bruce Poliquin in that office. Um, so they'll have my full support and endorsement. Um, you know. I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I'm not sure how much I'll be campaigning for your other person or not. I don't really know. I haven't really thought that far ahead. But I, but, um, but they'll have my full support, you know, if I'm not the one. And I assume that I, that will be the same coming back. So, and also, I guess in the, I, would, I would echo also that that the goal should be that uh, that whoever comes out of this primary pro um, process is in is good shape and is actually stronger having gone through this process instead of weakened because they haven't gone through this process. So that when then we face Bruce Poliquin we will be better able to beat him. And I think that, that that's the best part of a pro of, I know that for me, um, that this is already sharpening my ability to like communicate what is important and where the vision I wanna, you know, wanna fight for. And I think, that, I think that's, you know, that's the best part about a primary. This is Tim Rich. Uh, I would agree with you completely. Um, you know, I, I would absolutely endorse whoever wins. Um, you know, whether that be myself or Jonathan or Lucas or Jared, 
uh, you know, my, my plan is to, is to um, help as much as I can, as often as I can. Uh, you know, I, I, I could easily see myself stumping for, for whoever wins, for another candidate, helping raise money, helping get the word out. I mean, whatever is needed. I, I really strongly believe, and I, I, I really want to make this clear because I think you said it great, but we're all really good people. I, I've gotten to know Lucas and Jared a bit. Uh, I know Jonathan now fairly well, I think, and, um, and Craig Olson as well. Um, everybody running here are really good people with great ideas and would be a hundred times better than Bruce Poliquin and I think that's what we need to keep our focus on. Uh, this is Lucas St. Clair. So I, I, would, I would also you know, agree. I would, I would the day after the election um, endorse the candidate that, that wins. Um, I'd probably take a few days to, to lick my wounds if I lost, um, which is a natural human response, I think. Um, but I have built an incredible network across the state that has, has, is, is, has um, is supported me now and has supported me in, in other work that I've done. And I would absolutely call every one of them to turn them out to, to support the candidate uh, that wins the primary. And, you know, I got in this race to defeat Bruce Poliquin. That was my, absolutely, first and foremost, my goal. And whether I do it personally or one of the people sitting next to me here does it, you know, the, the goal remains the same. And I'll do everything that I can um, to, to turn our resources into a victory next December, or next November. This is Jared Golden. Uh, that's a great question. And you're the second person tonight, maybe the third, to allude to this uh, issue. And, and, you know, I think there's a, re- a reason for that. I think everyone in this room has probably seen a Democratic primary or even uh, with the best of, of intentions among candidates, uh, come that crunch time in, in April, May, sometimes uh, it, you know, the, it's hard to resist and all of a sudden um, you know, it, it just falls apart and people do engage in, in, in attacking one another. And that, that is when you end up with a weaker candidate coming out of a primary and we, we saw that in 2016, unfortunately. And um, so you know, I think keeping your, your you know, self-focused on what is it that ultimately we're all trying to accomplish which is to not only beat Congressman Bruce Poliquin and make sure that the people of this district have the kind of representation that we think they need and deserve, but also we've got to win back a majority in the House of Representatives in 2018. It is so critically important that that happens. Um, I'm going to speak to you more about that later, but... Uh, you know, for me personally, if, if I'm not the candidate, if it's one of the other four, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to support them. I don't know how. Um, in my experience, it, you know, you shouldn't just throw yourself into someone else's campaign. Uh, I will leave it to the, the winner to come to me and talk to me about what kind of help they want from me and, and what I can do to help um, to decide what kind of commitments I can make. But beyond that, uh, I'm going to be stumping either as a general election uh, as your candidate uh, or, or even if I lose the primary in Lewiston for the state representative that's going to be you know, running to replace me for the other three state house uh, reps in Lewiston for our state senator. And, and as the assistant majority leader in the main state house, I still take very seriously the responsibility to make sure that we hold a house majority in the state legislature. So I will be throwing myself wholeheartedly into this campaign one way or another to make sure Democrats are, are successful from, from the bottom up. So let's go to closing statements. So I guess we're coming back this way. So Jared, if you want to. Yeah, uh, you know, um, absolutely. I want to thank you all for coming out. This has been, uh, this is what we all actually want to be doing out on the campaign trail. I think we all agree about that. Uh, this is 
refreshing and so important for us to, to hear from you. That's what this campaigning is all about. Um, and, and Stacy, thank you. This is, this is great. Thanks for pulling this together. Um, certainly have enjoyed this conversation. I want to leave you with this thought, um, you know, connecting to what we were just talking about, and, and it's a bit of a story. Back in 2010, there was this little-known conservative candidate for governor of Maine, Paula Page, who took, I think, most people by complete surprise. And he was swept into power along with control, Republican control of, of both the Maine State House and the Senate. And looking back uh, at that time and talking to my colleagues who were serving in the legislature in those two years, it was a tough time in Maine and a tough time, uh, I think, for, for <coughs> Democrats. Uh, but fortunately, the Republicans were not organized. And their inability to work together between the House and the Senate prevented them from accomplishing a lot of what they wanted to get done uh, and, and push through a lot of really harmful policies to, to Maine. Um, so. What, what did we end up doing in the interim? By 2012, Democrats all across the state had gotten very serious uh, and gotten on the same page. We organized. And we took back control of the Senate and the House in 2012. And we held control of the House in 2014 and 2016. And so for seven years, uh, or, or at least since 2013, uh, Democrats, particularly in the House, have been the last line of defense to stop the really awful agenda that this governor would push through and uh, ask yourselves where would the state be if we had not accomplished that I think it would be it would be pretty bad I mean we think that things have gotten worse in Maine in seven years under this governor imagine if he'd had seven years of complete Republican control and so you know looking at today in 2000 with the 2016 election and President Trump having won and Republican control of both chambers in Congress uh, I think that people in Maine are well positioned to better understand than anywhere else in this country just how important what we are about to engage in in 2018 is. It is absolutely vital for this country that we win in 2018, whether that be control of the House or control of the Senate. We need to put a check on the power of this administration and Republicans in Congress. That's why I'm committed to working to make sure that we're going to win in 2018, whether I'm the candidate or not. Uh, this is just too important. And so what I do know is it's going to be your energy and your commitment uh, to, to, to going out there and, and throwing yourself uh, into this race, uh, <coughs> persuading your neighbors and, and, and supporting our candidates uh, that's going to help us win. And so I want to thank you for that because every one of us needs you uh, in this endeavor. So thank you. This is Lucas St. Clair. But thank you, Stacey. This is a great forum, and I love to see the fact that your children are here and so well-behaved. <laughs> it's amazing that you all have sat there so patiently. I remember being their age and um, going with my parents to sit in Grange Halls and, and listen to presentations that I, I wasn't clear what was going on at the time. And to sit here now it is really putting into perspective what our democracy is and how it works and feeling more today empowered by our democracy than I ever have in the past despite the fact that we have some overwhelming challenges and uh, a new cycle that is just as um, intoxicating to read and and so heartbreaking to digest um, 
So we do need to take this very seriously. We do need to keep showing up, and it gives me great confidence to see so many people engaged, as I said before, um, and inspiring the next generation to stay engaged as well. Um, so it is a, it's a wonderful thing to see. And I also want to thank um, Jonathan and Tim and Jared. You know, this is a sacrifice in, in some ways. Um, you know, I left my children when they got home from the school today, and um, I don't get to see them as much as I would like. But um, to, to know that there is this... Um, others in this race with me does in in some ways give me um, just that much more confidence that we're doing the right thing and and that it's worth taking um, making the sacrifice Uh, and it is it is rewarding Uh, I I get a tremendous amount of of, uh, inspiration and excitement from being in rooms like this as I did the last few nights this week where I got to speak to voters and listen to voters Um, so I I want to say thank you to you all and and hope you stay as engaged as you were tonight and and continue on through this process to turn to turn this all all this effort into electoral wins in in 2018 thank you this is tim rich yeah so, so thank you all for coming out tonight, uh, and, I, and I mean that genuinely and, and from the bottom of my heart. Um, I am a patriot, and it's, it's very hard sometimes to be a patriot um, these days. Uh, something that I've struggled with, and I know many of us in this room have struggled with. You know, America is not like other nations. We, I talk a lot about this, but you know, we're not burdened by our history like some countries, or we're not burdened by our geography like other countries. We're an ideal of what human governance should be. We're the, the first nation on the planet to ever put its foot down and say, you know what, we believe in inalienable rights. We believe in a, in a right that people have to live their existence, regardless of their race or their color or their sexuality or anything like that. And, and I, I, think, I think I've always taken a lot of pride in the American ideal. Uh, and I think a lot of us here do tonight. 76 years ago today, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and, and we rallied a force that defeated Nazis, that defeated fascists, that defeated people who were xenophobic, and, and we put in place a structure that kept the world relatively safe and relatively peaceful for most of the 20th century. I think it's very interesting that on the day of this anniversary, Right now, at least I think it's still going on, there's a prayer vigil in Susan Collins' office down in Portland where members of the clergy got together uh, to protest the, the awful tax bill that's put forward, and they were going to stay in her office praying until she changed her vote. And, and I have to say, I, yeah, I, I take so much inspiration from that, you know, and we, and we can't forget, I mean, it gets so easy to be down with the tweets and... You know, all the stuff that's going on. Every, it seems like every day we open a paper, we, we, you know, open our web browser, and there's a new thing, and it's catastrophic. It's like mind-boggling, right? Like, we never thought our country would look like this. Now, there's good news. We're the country that built the interstate highway system in a decade. We're the country that, uh, within six years, put a man on the moon. And we can do 
such profound, great things here. And I think it's a testament to that, that you are all out tonight. I think it's a testament to that, that you just took two hours out of, hours out of your day to hear us. And I encourage you, even if it's not mine, if it's Jared's or Lucas or, or Jonathan's or, or Craig's, get involved in one of our campaigns. Get involved, volunteer, help, play a part. Because this is how we change our country, and it's how we change the world. So thank you all for coming here. Thank you all for being engaged citizens, and thank you all for just being great people. This is Jonathan Fulford. Oh, this is pretty awesome. Um, and I would say that since the election last year, there has been two major things that have been really, really encouraging. The Women's March, which I think fundamentally changed what was politically possible and what we were able to kind of like the, have hope. Like it gave, it gave a chance for all of us to realize, yeah, we're not going to be victims here. And we can stand up and we can do something about it. And I'd say the next thing that was most significant was the election that just happened. And that progressive candidates took very red seats. And progressive candidates took, you know, I mean, like Belfast, which is where my mother lives, you know, the new mayor there is pretty awesome, right? Yeah, you know, and, uh, and she defeated a entrenched conservative Democrat, you know? He was like, that's pretty cool. You know, yeah, it's like, you know, um, and uh, so I think that there's that the and I'd also say that like the growth of like the indivisible and the our revolution and the, and the, like, the, the many, many, many different groups of people who've gotten together with their neighbors and said, you know, no, I want to be informed and I'm going to be active, you know, you know, with just so many like what Stacy's done. And that, this activism is what's actually going to make us be able to actually win these election, this election, and we're going to be able to, like, that momentum is what we're going to be riding forward. You know, and, you know, it's a pivotal time. It's a pivotal, pivotal time in human history. And it is a good time to be alive. Like, all of our lives matter. The decisions, the actions we choose to take going forward are going to make, basically decide the future. And it's like, that's not bad. It's not a bad time. So I am excited to be doing this with you. Um, and, you know, let's have at it. So thank you. That was part two of a panel that was held in Orland on December 7th, sponsored by the Maine Common Good Coalition. Part one aired on December 12th on Maine Currents and is now available at weru.org if you missed it. Our thanks to John Greenman and Matt Murphy for recording the event. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Catch us here on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock on WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org.